Good morning. Y'all looking great today. Glad to be here with you. Um, if you have a Bible, please take it. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, um, verse 18. And then, yeah, I, I, this is a two for one here, okay? I need you to put your, put, get, get to Matthew 28 and then turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. So we need to turn your Bible to Matthew 28, verse 18, and then Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. If you don't have that, it'll be on the screen behind us in just a minute. And I have one housekeeping note to mention. If you drive a black Nissan Sentra, um, the lights are off. It's been taken care of. The lights were off. And now they are now. They were on, but now they are off. So that's good. Uh, but glad you, your car battery won't be run down. Um, I have a friend of ours. One of the good things about living all over the country where we have is every country has the thing that it's special for and known for. Um, and in Georgia, they're known for a few things. Uh, number one is Chick-fil-A. That is the, it came out of Georgia, and those people have an obsession with that place. And it's a good place, but there was constantly, when we lived in Georgia, there was constantly a line at Chick-fil-A. Now, the other thing was Coca-Cola came out of Atlanta. They're really big into Coca-Cola. If you go to Atlanta, right in the middle of all the good stuff in downtown, they have the world of Coca-Cola, which is a okay museum. And at the end of it, you get to drink as many sodas from around the world as you want to. And then I always get incredibly ill because you're not supposed to drink all of it, you know? So um, that is one of the things. But Coca-Cola a while back had a slogan. It's the real thing. That was a little while back, and so you want you wanted a Coke, and it was in the time where now you could go, you get Coca-Cola, you get Pepsi, you could get Sam's Cola, you could get Dr. K's Super Cola, or whatever you want to get. There's there's all these little knockoffs of Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola was trying to get you to understand that Coke is the real thing. We have a friend of ours from Georgia, and when we go to restaurants, and she'll say, "I'll have a Diet Coke." And the waitress, and she's the she's the sweetest girl you ever want to meet. So this is why it's so funny. The waitress will say, "Is Pepsi okay?" And she'll go, "No." <laughs> every without fail, every time. And then she kind of smirks, and then Diet Pepsi or whatever is brought to the table, and she's okay with it. But for her, it's not okay that it's not the real thing, Coke. And I want you to know something. When we come to church. It's important we want us to know that we are, that the church that you are a part of and you have come to is a real church. And we looked at two of the great luminaries in the church and in the Reformation, Luther and Calvin, kind of help us understand what the church is and what a true church is, what the real church is. And here's, here's one of the things that, here's the things that they say what a real church is, and we're going to follow that. First, it, they rightly preach the word of God or the gospel, the word of God containing the gospel, because the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus and his redemption. And so that is one of the things. First off, you come to a church that preaches the Bible and preaches the gospel, that is a sign of a true church. The second thing that Calvin and Luther both point out, and as we're going to see as the mark of a real church, a true church, is that they practice the ordinances or the sacraments correctly. And the ordinances or sacraments are two things. There's two things that Jesus commanded us to do, and that was the Lord's Supper, which we just did, and baptism. And today we're going to focus on baptism because we want to know the hallmarks of a true church so we can recognize a church, we can commit to a church, and we can be in wonder of what God does through his church. And so if you would, I want to show you this, that Jesus commanded baptism, and a true church exercises this ordinance to, in a way to, in a, in a, as a way for people to publicly proclaim their faith and publicly identify and enter in the fellowship 
of the church. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 says this. And this is Jesus. He's crucified. He is risen. He's appeared. It's right before the ascension. And he gives his disciples, before he goes, before he sends the Spirit, him and the Father send the Spirit, here's what happens. He gives his disciples a commission, which is a famous passage in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, this is the risen Jesus, remember? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And you can almost be like, well, duh, you rose from the grave. It says this, go therefore, because I'm risen and because all authority has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so here's the thing. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, so therefore you do this. The way that the English is written is, 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 it can be deceiving to us. There's one major verb in this passage in verse 19, and it's make disciples. So what we're supposed to do, because all authority is given to Jesus, we're supposed to, as his followers, we're supposed to make more followers or disciples, okay? That's the major verb. All the other things that we're told to do, they modify what it means to make a disciple, okay? Which involves going. So we, are, our con, we have been given, we, Jesus has taught his, in fact, in this particular situation, he's talking to those who he had poured his life into throughout his ministry for the last three years. And he's saying, listen, you were with me, you walked with me, I taught you who I was, I showed you who I was through the resurrection, and now you are going to go out and you're going to make people who follow me as they follow you. Does that make sense? And he says, first off, it's going, go. This, this modifies this, so part of us making disciples is to go. See, we cannot be sedentary and say, y'all come. You ever heard that? A lot of churches that are dying just say, well, we, we want people to come. Well, do you do anything to make them feel like they should come? you show any type of love or any type of invitation or anything that would change that would, would make you feel like people would, 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 would come? That's like this. You don't have a pronounced, you ever been to somebody's house? You may have been to my house until recently. You don't know which door to use. I don't, okay. Do I go into that one? Am I close enough to them to go to the back entrance? The garage is open. Can I go through there? Or am I violating that friend code? Are we there yet? Are we there for me to go into the garage? I don't know. And so you're left with that kind of like, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going to knock on the door, okay? I mean, that's, that's what you're kind of left with. And so, are you, are you ma- going is a part of it. So, that's a church is supposed to be on mission, making disciples. And so, here is a go. And then it says this Go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is about to ascend. You think fam- last words are important, okay? Last words in the sense of on, on his earthly journey, very important. And he tells them to go, to make disciples by going and what? By baptizing, which means to immerse. That's literally what it means, immersing, which is to be understood this, that Jesus commanded us to dunk people in water, (laughs) which is weird unless you understand the symbolism of it, which we're going to talk about just a little bit more later, but just you can see it here. What, what has Christ done? He has died, and he has risen. And what is baptism a symbol of? What does it look like? You have died, 
and you have been risen. Water is important, I think, as well, because it represents cleansing as throughout the Bible. Fire does too, but fire is usually judgment cleansing. Water is usually a good type of cleansing. Right? <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have to be, let's be baptized in fire. That's not good. Okay? Baptized in water. So you got this symbolism here, okay? And what is it a symbol of? It's a symbol of what Christ has done. And so we see this symbolic way. So part of us making disciples is to go as a church. It's also to baptize. And so the church is supposed to be the place where the rule of the kingdom of God is at work now. Pointing, and we're pointing everybody to the rule of the kingdom of God coming later, fully. We're calling people to repentance and faith in Christ. And so part of that is to go, to make disciples, to make a place and go out and, and implore them to come into the kingdom and to share the good news of Jesus, but it's also to baptize them, which is a symbol of what he has done. And we're going to talk about that. It's more, the symbol is important. In fact, it's listed. Go, make disciples, and then it's teaching. Look what he says in verse 20. Not, here's what you're supposed to do, my followers. Teach them to observe. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So here's the part. Making disciples it begins with going, baptizing, and teaching. It's on par. It's an important thing. And so we see this here. If Jesus commanded his church to do it, we should do it. A true church must be about the things that Jesus told us to do. And he, there wasn't a whole lot he just expressly said directly to us as a people to do. And he said this really clearly. He says, baptize people as a way into discipleship, as a way into the family, as a way in. Disciple, baptize people. So obviously it's important, right? Right? Are you right there? Okay. Obviously it's important because he commanded it right before he ascended. It is very important. Now, if you would, we're going to switch over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 37, but before we do that, I want to give you a little context, okay? Because context is king. Context helps you understand what's happening. So Jesus is ascending. Before he does that, he gives his disciples another commission, which is related to the Great Commission. This is in Acts 1.8. He says, make disciples. He says, go into all of the countryside. Go into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Go everywhere. Systematically go and bring the good news. And then he said, also, before you do that, though, I want you to wait, we don't like to wait. None of us like to wait. I probably like to wait less than most. If I see a restaurant that's moderately crowded, I'm like, no, I refuse to wait for food, <laughs> okay? Ridiculous. And it, it actually, it irritates me to a level that's not healthy. I'm just like, like, like too many people in this world. It's not a good heart. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that's what comes into it. So I'll usually go to a subpar place to get seated immediately. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. You can pray for my wife because she has to deal with that. It just really agitates me down to my core. I have to, like, know. I have to, like, prepare myself for, like, three weeks. I'm going to someplace, like, like fancy. I'm like, all right, just gonna, you're going to have to wait. It's going to be okay. You're not going to get agitated. You're not going to want to throw things. It's okay. I'm ready for this. And so here's what happens. They're given this commission. They've seen the risen Jesus, and he says, wait. Why, is this, why does Jesus want them to wait? Because the Holy Spirit, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is, is God sends the Holy Spirit. 
and descends on them like flames of like tongues of fire, and they begin to preach the gospel. And God does this miraculous thing where they preach the gospel in different languages that people can understand. And there's people from all Jerusalem, because this is around the time of the Passover. That's when Jesus was crucified, and the day of Pentecost is 50 days after that. And so there's all these people there celebrating this religious festival, and there's Jewish people from all over who've been scattered all over the world, speaking all these different languages. And the followers of Christ, they get up, and they begin to speak the gospel. And Peter is the, at the forefront. And I can almost imagine this kind of being like the U.N. You ever seen anybody? You ever seen the U.N., like a conference at the U.N.? Everybody's got those little earpieces. And one person's talking in their native language, and everybody else is listening on the earpiece, and there's all these translators going, you know, putting it in their language. And so that's what has basically happened. Peter's preaching. I don't know if he had to stop in the middle while these guys were translating or whatever, but there's this preaching that's going on in these, all these different languages. Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2, and he preaches the gospel, and he basically tells them, you have crucified the one and only true Son of God who was prophesied in the Scriptures. You have sinned. You need to repent. It's, bored. I mean, it's, it's a whole chapter. Go read it. It's more than that. That's the Reader's Digest version. And then we pick up in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We've sinned. We obviously committed treason against God's Holy One. We have sinned. What shall we do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent, turn from your sins, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself, and with many other words, and continue to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so Peter preaches the gospel with, powered by the Holy Spirit of God. And he preaches the gospel in such a way that the people are cut to the heart. This is the work of the Spirit through the preaching of the Word. And so they become very convicted about their sins. And they recognize their sinfulness. And they recognize the terror that sin brings, the judgment of God. And they call out and they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter answers them. By repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, repentance, faith, and baptism usually go together. And there are marks of truly saved persons. Okay? And that shows us something. These people who were cut to the heart, who repent and believe, they were baptized. And so here's what I want you to know. Baptism is only for believers who have repented of their sins, believed in Christ, and are now changed different people. So baptism is for believers. This is different than what a lot of churches and people think. In fact, many of you may have come from a background in which they baptize infants. And some people believe baptism of infants has something to do with their salvation in one form or the other, depending on what tradition you are from. I think the Bible is clear, and the only people that were baptized in the Scriptures were those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And they have repented and believed. And they're a proper candidate. So we're not just up here. Jesus said, go make disciples, dunk them, and teach them. Okay? We're not in the business of just dunking you willy-nilly. 
and thinking that's going to have something to do with you. You know why? Have you ever have you ever been to baptism here at our church? Okay, it's kind of it's it's kind of ghetto. Okay, I'll just be honest with you. We got this like black horse trough. Yes, that's what it is. Okay, it says Rubbermaid on the side of it. it does and so we put it in the middle. After we put a tarp down, we don't want to get our carpet wet, okay? So we put the tarp down, and we put the Rubbermaid thing in here, and we run a hose, garden hose, nothing spe- not a holy hose, okay? You know, okay. We run a garden hose to the tap that's in the men's bathroom, and we run all the way down here, and we fill it up with cold water because we ain't got nothing else. And then I got this little stool from Ikea, that's white. And after, I've, after we've taken, a, we have a little fishnet skimmer from an aquarium. And I don't know why we have so much weird stuff that floats in the water, but we have to skim out weird sediment, get that out. And I put an Ikea white, stu- white and green Ikea stool in here for the person to sit in. We, we do all of it. We talk about baptism. We get them in there, and they immediately go into full convulsions because it's so cold. And you've been here, I'm ex- describing this correctly, okay? We, we sit you down, we dunk you real quick so you don't get hypothermia, and you get out. There's nothing significant about that water. It came from the municipal supply, I hope. I hope. If it was something significant about getting dunked in water at church every time, every time we had the uh, the fall festival or the uh, the vacation Bible school block party, and you guys drowned me like a rat for the whole time in the dunk booth, that would be baptism. That's ridiculous. It means nothing. This is a symbol of an inward reality that has happened, and it has to do with repentance and faith. And you say, now, Matt, they don't when he when they ask what to do. In verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized. He doesn't mention faith. And sometimes he does just say repent, and sometimes he does say faith, and sometimes they're together, sometimes they're apart, and baptism is sometimes mentioned and sometimes not. What is the deal? I want you to know this. These people definitely didn't believe in Jesus. You know why? This is the same mob that crucified him. You hear me? And now they want to repent. Now they realize they're wrong. And now they want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Don't you know that faith is implied? Because they were like, crucify him. And now like, oh, we've made a horrible mistake. I want to be baptized in his name. I want to follow him. Repentance and faith. Seeing yourself as a sinner. Seeing that you need God's forgiveness. Seeing that you need Christ's finished work. Repenting of that. Turning away from sin towards Jesus. Is, is, that is what is required for baptism to be. It's, you repent of your sins and you believe in the finished work of Christ. That makes you a proper candidate for baptism. So we don't baptize in hopes that you will follow Christ more. We don't baptize you in the hopes that, hey, maybe this will lead to your salvation. We don't baptize you as some and say the water makes you saved. No, it's a symbol of an inward reality that is outward in nature. And the outward symbol shows, gives evidence to the inward fact. Because here's the thing. You don't you can't see, none of us can see if somebody has been truly born again and truly trust Christ. It would be awesome if we could. Like maybe some kind of really cool symbol would show up. Like all of a sudden, if you've repented and believed, like you got like this cool cross to just appear. Like, oh, okay, like just an emblem on your skin or a mark on your forehead 
or you just got a card in the mail from heaven that said, <laughs> admit one, okay? That would be great. Show us your Jesus card. We'd like to see that and make sure you could be here. So what do we do as a way to, of entrance, as a way to show identification with, with, with Christ and his church? Well, we do a symbol. And that symbol, it was commanded to us. It wasn't like we just said, you know what we should do? Let's just get a bunch of water. Dunk people. No. Jesus told us to. Baptism literally means to immerse. So he said immerse. And now we, have, we see this symbol. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead working together to bring about salvation. Be baptized. Identify yourself with Christ. That his death was for me. That his resurrection is the only hope I have of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And that the water and washing in it shows we were buried with him. And now we are raised. And we were also washed from our sins by his blood. Not by that water. That's tap water or river water or whatever. It's a symbol of the flow from Calvary. It's a symbol of Jesus' sacrificial death, which was as a substitute. And it's a symbol of identification with Christ that says, I'm in Christ. And it also is an identification with the people of God, who are the church. Remember the word church means ecclesia. We talked about this, the called out ones, those who've called, been called out of darkness into marvelous light to proclaim his excellencies, as we see in 1 Peter. You get that? He is, you are not only just identifying with Christ, you're identifying with Christ's people because every one of Christ's people believe in what Christ has done and they see it as their only hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we show that by everyone, and a proclamation of that is by baptism, which is a symbol. And it, I tell people this all the time. You're preaching. I don't want to preach. If I went up to one of you guys out here and I was like, you ready to preach? Most of you would be like, I would rather die. Most. There'd be some of you like, sweet, let's go, okay? And then others would be like, nope, <laughs> Okay. But you get to preach to the world when you're baptized that you have trusted Christ. And there has been well-meaning folks who have, have belittled, baptism, belittled baptism unintentionally, because I love these brothers and sisters who do this, but they think that joining the church and being part of the church has to do with some type of walking the aisle type ceremony, Okay. People do that, and I don't have any, like, I love people who do that, okay? But really, it belittles baptism, because baptism is the way in. It's the proclamation of your faith. It's, it's showing something. You're proclaiming, an inward re you're proclaiming something that's inward. We can't see it. But the fact that you want to follow through with Jesus, and, and now your actions, you've been changed, and now your actions are different, that you want to identify with him publicly. That's the work of the Spirit in your life. It's one of the many ones we see. And so we bring you to baptism. We tell the whole church, and you identify with the church, and you identify with the people of God, and you identify with Christ and say, this is what I believe. That's exactly what happens here in Acts. They're cut to the heart, and Peter tells them to do something. Verse 38, what do you do? Repent. Turn from your sins, turn to Christ. The repentance and being baptized in the name point to faith, which we'll see again here. So repent, believe, and be baptized. In verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Baptism doesn't forgive you. The Lord Jesus, for, Jesus Christ forgives you. Baptism is a symbol of that. And then it goes on, and you will receive the, whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord has ca- called to himself. You get this? The Great Commission and baptism are always together. You're being baptized, and this promise of if you repent and believe and are baptized and you will be saved, this is to go out to everyone. So it's part of the preaching of the gospel. And then it goes on in verse 40, and with many other words, so this isn't the it. He just kept preaching, man. He just kept going on. In many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. So here's the thing. Who was baptized? Yet again, I want to just make sure you see it. Who was baptized? Children? People who, this might help them come to Christ? No. Who was baptized? Those who are saved. Those who have believed. Those who have repented. Baptism is for those who are saved. It's symbolic in nature. We talked about that. And then it says, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the, the call to come forward was to come forward and be baptized. And so 3,000 people came forward that day and were baptized. And then here's what it brings them into. Look in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The day, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here's the thing. 3,000 souls were added at the preaching of Peter. And what happens next? Then they begin life in the church. Baptism is not just the identification entrance into Christ, or at least a symbol of the identification entrance into Jesus and entering into faith. It's also the beginning step of entering into the fellowship of the church. And so, number one, there's always been members of churches. Now, we see membership in weird ways. We see membership as based like being in a club. Like you pay your dues, you show up, maybe it's like Rotary Club or whatever. But this is one of the only clubs in the world that does not exist for the furtherance of its members. It actually exists for the furtherance of the gospel to those outside of the group, which is interesting. Secondly, we see that the, the church, as it's, it's, as it's currently constituted, is, is made up of these believers on this mission for Jesus and they've identified with one another, and they're going on, and they have so many things they do because they are identifying with Jesus. What do they do? They sold their possessions and make sure nobody had need. Well, how did they enter into this? Well, how do we know that they're part of the church? Well, they have professed faith through baptism, and now they're a part of this group that is meeting together in houses. They're probably taking the Lord's Supper together. That's probably what it means they're breaking bread, but also they were eating 
meals together. They were fellowshipping together. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, which means they're learning and being made disciples. And then God's adding more to their numbers, so they're obviously being evangelistic. And so to come into the church, to be a member of the church, means to participate in the mission of the church. Because here's the thing, to really come in to the church means that you're about the mission of the church. It's not just that you got the church membership card. It's to be about the mission. And baptism is that way in. It's that way, it's the symbol that shows that we are entering in through Christ. Like I said again, it would be awesome if there was a sign and a symbol on every heart, every body that could show the inward reality, but the, the, the evidence that you have true saving faith is continued life of obedience and love towards Christ. Exemplified in baptism and in continued church membership and continued fellowship and all those type of things. And baptism is one of the ways we show that we are in Christ. Now, I don't want to just educate this morning. I want to call us to action. And I want to call this action is, 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 is twofold here. The first one is this. Those of you who have repented of your sins and trusted Christ, I call you to, repent, I call you to baptism because that's the natural flow of discipleship. It's a public proclamation of your faith in Christ. It's also, if you want to become a member of, of our church and a member of the mission of our church, you must be. There's other things you must do, but you must be baptized. So I'm calling all of us to think, if we are this body of believers, I'm calling you to come into it, and the way to come in is through baptism. So if you are this place where you have trusted Christ, but you have not been baptized, I call you to it. Secondly, I hope that many of you see through the preaching of the gospel, through baptism, that you, if, even if you're not there at this point, that you need salvation in Christ alone. And that comes through faith and repentance. Not walking an aisle, not praying some prayer or some incantation. It comes through trusting Christ. Now that may, that may involve calling out to him as Lord because we do know all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. That's what the book of Romans tells us. And so many of us, we, there's many in here that need to, put, they need to turn from their sins. That's important. Turn from your sins and trust Christ. Turning from your sin is just as important as trusting Christ because turning from your sins shows that you trust Christ. Because if, you, if you're saying, no, I'm going to continue to sin, but I, I want to repent or I want to trust you. Jesus is telling you, your sins are bad. Your sins are wicked. Your sins are taking you from me. How can you repent? Or how can you believe and not repent? It's impossible. So repent and believe. Turn from your sin. Trust Christ. He's the only way. Those who have proclaim this through baptism. Enter in through this way. And finally, I want to call us to wonder. Not to be unsure, but to be in awe of the fact that God has saved you. If you are in Christ, I just want you to think back who you were before. The hopelessness. Maybe you didn't see it as hopelessness, but it was really there because you tried everything and nothing filled the God-side hole inside of you. You tried one thing after the other. You had various, various levels of happiness. Sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. But ultimately, there was a hopelessness, a feeling like I just haven't found it, what I'm looking for. Then also a feeling of great conviction of guilt over sin. And think about how your life used to be, and now think about what Christ has done. And then think about 
I remember as a seven-year-old boy, I remember how it felt to stand in front of my church family. I was in, we lived in Guam at the time, went to Calvary Baptist Church. I remember this very clearly. And I was baptized in, a, in one of those old baptistry that looked like a glorified bathtub. And I remember it very clearly, what that felt like at that moment. And I, rem- I though I was not fully, in under- I didn't understand everything that I do now, I believe my faith was sincere, and I, tr- I trusted Christ. And I wanted my church family to know that. You just think about it. Think about the awe and wonder that you don't deserve anything, but God found you in your sin. And he turned you from it. He gave you the faith to believe. Now you're his. Just wonder at it. Just wonder at how God could have put up with you for so long. And then wonder that, that the fact that he not only he, he's continuing to work in you, even though you continue not to be perfect in the sin. Oh, come to wonder at the beginning of your Christian life. Wonder at it. There was a man by the name of Pedro who I got to meet several years ago, and you may have heard this story before. You may, ha- you may have not, but I always like to think about it. Pedro was a Cuban immigrant in the first wave of Cuban immigration, and he came and ended up in Macon, Georgia by accident. He actually got stranded. Didn't speak hardly any English at all. Pedro bumped around, lived 20 years of his life, 25 years of his life in Macon, learning just bits and pieces of English. Through a vacation Bible school, his kids started coming to our church, and I got to meet Pedro. Pedro had just lost his job. His wife, who um, he was estranged from, it's a weird story. He had lost everything, basically, because of that, and he was trying to find work. He used to be, a, he, he was a roofer, and the guy could run on a roof like a mountain goat. It was not safe, but it was amazing to see. I mean, he was jumping through eaves, and so our church needed some roof work done. He needed some cash. We paid him to do the roof work, and I got to minister with Pedro, and several of our guys came, and we started preaching the gospel to Pedro, and we started discipling Pedro, and he had professed faith in Christ during that time, and we were talking to him about baptizing me and several other men in our church, and there was one Sunday, we've been talking to him about it for months, and there was one Sunday where he was like, you know what? Today's the day at the end of the service. I'm going to walk down front of the pastor, and I'm going to tell him that I want to be baptized. Well, the sermon had just begun. I mean, just begun. Like, we're just reading the text of Scripture. And we were back there, and I see Pedro get up. And we're like, this is not normal, <laughs> okay? And he gets up from the back of the church, and he makes a beeline towards the front. And he stands right in front of the platform, right in front of the pulpit. And he yells, I want to be baptized. <laughs> I am not making that up. I could not make that up. I would not think. And we were all like, all of us who've been working, we like, no, that's not what you do. Okay. <laughs> and then and the pastor's like, what? <laughs> okay. I want to be baptized. He yells it out. We should have stopped the service and baptized that guy. I regret to my day that we did not. Because he had come to know what it, he wanted to follow Christ. And he, he knew Christ, and he wanted to show everyone that he was a follower. And I want us to have that type in our lives as we look at baptism. We think about coming into church, and we think about being a part, identifying with Christ and identifying with his church. And we need some space to do that. 
Our lives are filled with noise. Let me put this. My life's filled with noise. I imagine yours is too. And chaos. And we don't sit still. We run from point A to point B. And I want you to know that it's hard for us to grow spiritually like that. To not listen to the Lord. And so I want to give us some space to do that. We're going to play a video. It's going to be a song on it. The lyrics will be on there. If you want to sing to it, you can. If you want to just pray. I ask you to do this. I want you to contemplate the two, the two imperatives from this message. I invite some of you to enter. Enter into baptism, which means that you need to talk about baptism with an elder, which today I'm the only one that's here. Don't come talk to me. When you talk about entering into Christ, some of you need to repent of your sins and trust him, then follow in that. Others of us, I'm calling us to wonder. I'm calling us to remember calling us back to a first love, calling us back to thinking about what Christ has done. Think about our baptism, to think about, about who we were and who we are now, to, to repent of sins and to return where we are. And I want to give us some space to do that. So if you would bow with me, I'm going to pray. We're going to play this video and remain an attitude of prayer. And then we'll finish the service. Father, help us speak through your word, speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm finding myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's okay. The last thing I need is to be heard, but to hear what you would say, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty. Would you pour down like rain? 
Let's stand. And we will be dismissed with these good words. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in his grace. You're dismissed.